Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was talking about Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, what we have here is we have a statement by the Lord Jesus where he says, But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. This is where I was at in the previous program. Now, at the end of the previous program, I explained that there are some things that are said here that, in my opinion, are in contradiction with the Mosaic Law. But, of course, you have to hear all of the programs that I've already produced on this subject in order to understand why I would say such a thing. Because, for the most part, people do not know the law well enough to be able to see a contradiction with the law when they see it. For example, when he says that a woman commits adultery because she is divorced. Now, he says it in the sense that if she is divorced by her husband, if her husband divorces her, then he causes her to commit adultery. Well, divorce is not automatically something that causes adultery. The definition of adultery is not being divorced. And even though a woman gets divorced, that doesn't necessarily mean that she commits adultery or that she will commit adultery. That's a minor discrepancy, but it's a discrepancy nonetheless that I think is worthy of mentioning. That adultery is not something that can be imposed on an individual. Now, you could say that because she no longer has access to her husband due to some physical needs of some kind, she might actually engage in adultery. I understand that if you were to look at it from that point of view. But this is the problem still. And that is, is she divorced or is she not divorced? That's the problem. You see, if you assume that she is committing adultery, then the only way that she can be accused of committing adultery is if she's married. So what does that mean? That means that if she's divorced, She's still married. That's a contradiction in terms. How can you say that? How can you say that she commits adultery when she's been divorced without saying that she's still married? This is what people will do sometimes, though, is they'll say, well, she's divorced, but no, not really. You know, she's still married. He is still her husband, and she's not really divorced. Divorced, in this case, means separated. It means that you're just temporarily put aside. And so if you do anything, then, you know, you're going to be committing adultery against this husband that you have that, yeah, you're technically divorced from, but not really. You understand what I'm saying? My point is, is that a person is either divorced or they are not divorced. 
They are either married or they are not married. This, to me, is something that I believe we should see and that should raise some concerns. Now, I have an answer for this. I do. Have some patience, and I will give you the answer to this. But for now, what we have in this statement right here, it's clearly written in English. What we can see is that Jesus says that a woman who is divorced is not really divorced. He has to say that she's not really divorced in order to declare that she is committing adultery because you can't commit adultery if you're divorced because you're suggesting that you're still married. That's the only way you can commit adultery. Please understand that according to the law, adultery is a very specific crime and it cannot be committed against an individual if that individual is not your spouse. If you're not married to that person, you cannot commit adultery against them. If you are married to that person, you can commit adultery against them. But if you divorce then you are no longer married. That's the point. And why I would say that there is a discrepancy here that gives me some concern. There is a discrepancy that, in my opinion, is a violation of the laws concerning adultery because of the divorce. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this because I don't think people notice that. I don't think that they're really paying attention to that. Or if they are, they end up going around in circles and never really deal with the issue of is a person divorced or are they married? Is adultery committed against someone who you are married with or is it committed against someone who you are not married with? Now, obviously, if you are married and you engage with a person who is not your spouse, then yes, you are doing that against this person. But that's not what he says. He says that a divorce has taken place, a certificate has been issued, the marriage came to an end. And so this is a serious concern that I have, that I believe needs to be addressed. Now, another thing that we have here that I believe is a violation of the Mosaic Law is that Jesus says that you can divorce your spouse because of adultery. Folks, this is in contradiction with the Mosaic Law. Because if you look at the Mosaic Law, it says that the penalty for adultery is something besides divorce. It doesn't say that the penalty is divorce. It says that the penalty is execution. If you commit adultery, if you commit sexual immorality in this sense then the punishment is not divorce, it's execution. What's he doing? Telling people, you can just simply divorce your spouse when they commit adultery. You can't divorce your spouse if your spouse commits adultery. That's not a legitimate reason for divorce. You understand what I'm telling you? Adultery was never a legitimate reason for divorce because the law said that the spouse who commits adultery needs to be executed. They need to be put to death, not divorced. That's the point. Please recognize this, that in my opinion, this is what I see, in my opinion, this is a contradiction 
with the Mosaic law. Jesus is saying something that is contrary to the Mosaic law. I would be very concerned about this. This is a concern that I have had. Now, I have since found an answer to this, and I'll explain that to you again in just a minute. So bear with me. I've got one more. And that is that he says that if a man marries a woman who is divorced, that's verse 32, he says, again, but I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Well, if a person marries a woman who is divorced, if he does that, and we say that that's adultery, well, that's a contradiction with the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law allows people to be remarried. The only restrictions that we have in the law concerning remarriage is that a priest, a Levitical priest, cannot marry a woman who is divorced. But if a person is not a Levitical priest, then he can marry a woman who is divorced. To say that he commits adultery, in my opinion, is contrary to the Mosaic Law. Jesus is no longer within the boundaries of the Mosaic Law. Consider what I explained in an earlier program on Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, where the Lord declares that a woman who is divorced can remarry, and if she remarries that person, then he is legitimately considered to be her husband. In the law, that's what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 24, read it for yourself. Verses 1 through 4, he is recognized as her husband. He doesn't say in the law, oh, well, now that he's done that, you know, this divorced woman has married this guy. We need to take them out to the city limits and throw rocks at them until they're dead. He doesn't say that they are to be stoned. Why doesn't he say that? Shouldn't he say that if adultery has been committed? Wouldn't that be a contradiction in the law itself that in one case he says that the person needs to be executed, but in this case, no, the person is legitimately considered to be a spouse? Folks, you've got to see something here, and that is that there's a problem. There's a serious problem here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32 that contradicts the Mosaic law. What are we going to do about this? Well, You don't have to do anything about it. But to me, I personally believe that there needs to be a resolution to this. Now, for many years, I lived growing in my relationship with Christ Jesus without an explanation for this. When I first saw this, I thought, you know, this is very interesting. And I believe that the Lord will one day show me what this says and what this means. And I will give him a chance to do that. And if it means that I'm not going to have an explanation for this until after I'm physically dead, I'll be okay with that. But until then, I put it aside. And many years later, I believe the Lord did reveal something to me that gives me an answer to this question. I believe that the answer to this question is found not in the English translation, but in the language that this was written in. Now, this should not be too much of a surprise for you. Because I believe that at some point in your Christian life, at some point, you would have heard somebody say something that sounds like this. Well, now, in the Greek, it says this. Now, please think about the implications of that for just a moment. First of all, it means that in the translations that we have in English, there are some discrepancies. 
there are some discrepancies that exist that require a person to say, in the Greek, it says this. Because if there was no discrepancy, it would make absolutely no sense for someone to say, in the Greek, it says this. It would make no sense at all. But you know what happens when somebody says that, right? You've been in church, I'm sure, and if you haven't, you need to get out there a little bit more often until you have the experience that I'm just describing. As soon as the pastor says, in the Greek, it says this, everybody pays attention. You know, people who are sleeping will wake up. People who are thinking about something else, they'll now pay attention to what the pastor is about to say. People who are sitting there reading their Bibles or reading a novel or something like that, they close their books and they look up at the pastor who is about to give some incredible revelation concerning this verse in the scripture that he is teaching on. Let's pay attention. Let's make notes. Let's rejoice because in the Greek it says this. Except for Matthew chapter 5 verse 32, don't even try to say in the Greek it says this because people really want to believe that what it says here in the English is exactly what it says. That there is no discrepancy at all. People really want to believe that there is no discrepancy here. Why? Because it will give you an enormous amount of power. I mean, think about this. If you look at verse 32 in a certain way, you can use it to your advantage, you know? You can use it by saying things like, Now, fellows, whatever you do, you do not ever divorce your wife because you will be guilty of causing her to commit adultery. You will be defiled before God. This is a reason that you can never divorce your wife. And there are many people who want to be able to say that. They want to say that. Likewise with wives, they will tell wives, whatever you do, you do not ever divorce your husband or allow him to divorce you, because if that happens, you will be eternally defiled as an adulteress, regardless of whether you committed adultery or not. You're going to be an adulteress because you are divorced. And it says that if you get divorced, then he causes you to commit adultery, right? There are people who really want to believe that. They want that. They want that power. They want that authority. They want that control. They want the ability to control other people. And if I suggest that it says something else in the Greek, then that will be unacceptable because of the consequences that people will face if I'm right. If it does say something different. Now, it just so happens that if you look into the Greek... This is what it says. Now, give me a chance, okay? Because what I mean by that is that the answer is not going to be found by looking at the Greek. It's not going to be found there. Because as you look at the Greek, if you look at the Greek texts, you will find that this is a pretty good translation of what's written there. So can I claim that in the Greek it says this and people will rejoice? No, I cannot. In this case, I cannot just simply claim that in the Greek it says something else, and so that is our solution. But do not worry, I'm not done yet. It just so happens, and very few people know this, it just so happens that when Matthew wrote his gospel, he did not write it in Greek. This is a very important fact 
that very few people know, but it is true. Matthew did not write his gospel in Greek. He wrote it in Hebrew. And there is, of course, a lot to be said about that. And because of that, I'm probably not going to be able to say it all in this program. I'll have to continue with this into the next broadcast and probably the one after that as well. It just so happens that Matthew did not write his gospel in Greek. He wrote his gospel in Hebrew. And so the question that I have needs to be answered either in the Greek or in the Hebrew, but I have already looked at the Greek and it's not answered in the Greek because to me it's a reasonably good translation that I have here in English when looking at the Greek. However, if you understand, if you understand, if you know that Matthew did not write it in Greek, then it gives you one more thing to look at and that is the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. Now, it just so happens that it's very difficult to find a copy of Matthew's gospel in Hebrew. It's very difficult to do that. But if you will take the time, you will eventually, I believe, you will eventually, as I have, you will find a copy of the gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. And it took me many years, but I eventually got a copy. There are copies that are available in various museums. There are some people who have made them available through publishers. You can find a copy, but it does take a lot of work. And even when you do, you've got to understand that the copy that you have is only a copy and that there are probably some discrepancies in the manuscript. There is a lot of work that still needs to be done concerning the textual criticism of the Gospel of Matthew that we have in Hebrew and the various manuscripts that we have at our disposal. This is a very important work that I believe needs more work, that really needs some more effort. But unfortunately, it's very difficult to get funding for projects like this. It's very, very challenging. I personally would really like to do a comprehensive translation of the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew that I have, but it will require a tremendous amount of money that I don't think I will ever have access to. And so it's a difficult struggle that I have, and I personally would still like to try to find a way to do that work, but I don't know that I ever will in my lifetime. But regardless of that, I can at least do some, and this is one thing that I have done. I have looked at this verse and a few others very carefully, I have looked at these verses and I have found that the answer to my question, the answer to my concern, and I have listed a number of questions and concerns, the answers are found by looking at what Matthew originally wrote before it was translated into Greek. Now you might wonder, what evidence do I have of such thing? Well, there is evidence. Consider one of the early church fathers Papias. Now, of course, he's not as popular as others are. There are many people who don't like the work that he did, and I can understand that. But he is a person. He was in the first half of the second century. And this is what he wrote. He said, Matthew collected the words in the Hebrew language and each translated them as best he could. Again, this is the quote from Papias that gives us the information that we need to have in order to be able to say historically that Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew. He said, Matthew collected the words in the Hebrew language and each translated them as best he could. What does this tell us? This tells us 
that Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew. And it also tells us that people translated those words as best they could, in this case, into Greek. Now, why would he say that they translated his words as best they could? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason why is because Matthew was not very good with Hebrew. And there are a number of reasons why I'm able to say that. If you'll have some patience, I'll tell you a few of them. He was not very good with Hebrew. As I've looked at the manuscript that I have, I can tell you that translating Matthew's words into Greek would be a serious obstacle. It is a serious obstacle because Matthew wasn't that good with Hebrew. And because of that, what we have in the Gospel of Matthew in Greek, we have a gospel that's okay, but it's not necessarily as good as perhaps we would like. Matthew's gospel in Hebrew was probably not as good as he would like. But you know, he made a pretty good effort. I will give him that. I will say that he made a pretty good effort in writing his gospel. I think that Matthew put a lot of effort into it, considering the obstacles that he had personally in being able to write his gospel in Hebrew. But that's my point. I want you to understand that what we have in the original language that Matthew wrote his gospel in, what we have is not in Greek, it is in Hebrew, and that this English translation that I have read is a translation from the Greek, which is a translation from Hebrew, and Matthew's Hebrew wasn't so good. That's what we've got. Now, in saying that, you might have great concern, great concern about the gospel of Matthew and other scriptures, right? You may have great concern, and you should have great concern for various reasons. For example, what confidence can you have in reading the scriptures? What confidence can you really have when there are all these discrepancies that exist? Why read the scriptures at all? You know, this is a big concern that many people have. And people will say, well, then what hope do we have? What hope do we have if we don't learn the Greek and the Hebrew, and Matthew's lousy Hebrew. What hope do we have if we don't learn these things? Folks, listen to me very carefully. The Christian life is not based on knowing the languages that the scriptures were written in. There is great value in knowing the languages that the scriptures were written in. There is great value, and there are many things in the scriptures that have not been disclosed just because of the language barriers that we have and because of the limitations concerning the translations that we have. There certainly are many things that we do not know, but you know what? There are many things that we do know. Just as I said earlier, that this is something that I did not understand, but I was willing to live with those things that I do understand hoping and praying that perhaps the Lord may answer those concerns and questions that I have in the future, but knowing full well that if he does not, it does not eliminate those things that I do know, that I can trust. Folks, listen to me very carefully, please. When it comes to the original languages of the scriptures, the discrepancies that we have in the translations, when it comes to these uncertainties, please pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. The objective of the Christian life is not to become a master of all of the scriptures, of all that has been said in the scriptures. It is not to discover and correct all of the discrepancies that we have. 
And our faith is not about being dependent on the scriptures. The purpose of the scriptures, the purpose of the Bible is to testify of a person, the person of the Lord Jesus and the one who sent him, the living God and the one who he has sent. It is about Jesus. It is about the Heavenly Father. It is about the Creator. It is about the living God who we have a relationship with. And the objective that we should have is to discover who He is. And we have the Scriptures at our disposal as an aid that we can have and that we can utilize, that we can experience, so that we may grow to know our God so that we may know him. That is the goal. That has always been the goal. And that is why I personally have been able to live in peace without knowing everything, because of the things that I do know, that I can trust. Folks, I have taught many, many subjects that are completely unrelated to the Bible. I have taught many subjects throughout my life And I can tell you that all of those subjects that are unrelated to the Bible, all of those subjects were taught for the purpose of teaching the subject. There was never an occasion that I ever stood before my class and said, folks, I want you to know that we are here in order to study this textbook so that we can know the depths of the person who wrote this textbook. There was never an occasion when I said that. The purpose of the course, the purpose of the class, was to know the material that was in the textbook. Who cares who wrote the textbook, whether it was Ullman or Euclid? Who cares? We want to know about the content in that book. But when it comes to the Bible, it is the exact opposite. We do not study the scriptures to know the content of the scriptures. We study the scriptures to know the heart of the God who is testified of in the scriptures. Do not ever, ever lose sight of that. Because if you do, yes, in many ways, you will be hopeless. Your faith will be hopeless. Your relationship with your God will not exist because your relationship will be with the Bible, not with the person who is testified of by the Bible. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,